Lord, we come before your throne in a metaphorical sense as we uh, dive into your word and as we um, try to see the purpose of what you've done. I ask, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and our minds the desire to know you more through this text and to push away any exemplified or false versions of you that we've created. May we worship you rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter 21. Um, we're going to be reading. All right. So, you know, when you go to the store and you have to buy like a like a toy, right? And all the toys have the different name. Um, and, and you have to find just the right one, just the right toy to satisfy your need. Like if you, if you really like GI Joe, right? And you go to, uh, Walmart or, or Target and you see all the different GI Joe Joes, you have like snowstorm GI Joe. And then you've got, you've, you've got desert GI Joe. And then you've got, uh, you know, lazy Hawaiian GI Joe. And he has like a lawn chair or something. But, you know, like you've got all the different ones and you want to find just the right one. Well, today we're going to be reading about temple or uh, table flipping Jesus. And that's most people's favorite Jesus. If Jesus were an action figure, this would be the one everyone would want. This is the, this is the hot stuff, right? If you've watched a... Uh, uh, if you've you've watched a particular comedy movie from the early 2000s starring Will Ferrell where baby Jesus is the guy's favorite and he sits there and he says, uh, you know, he prays, you know, dear sweet eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, whatever it is. Everybody's got their favorite version of Jesus, but we have to make sure we have the whole vision of Jesus, the whole the, Jesus's whole purpose. And so when we come to table flipping Jesus, we want to make sure we're understanding why he's flipping tables. Uh, we just have to be careful. It's so easy to invent a God of our own design in our own minds and invent reasons for God doing the things that he does. So, so let's, let's, let's hear these words and go through them and try and understand what's happening before we buy the next Jesus action figure. So Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. And Jesus entered the table and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. All right, so there's two parts of this, uh, of, uh, two parts of drama in this moment, right? If we, if we were to look at just a few verses before, we'd find that this follows the triumphal entry. 
And so Jesus marches into Jerusalem and then this happens, right? So part number one, you find that Je you find Jesus's actions in the temple and it raises a question of why did Jesus start overturning tables and rebuking the chief priests? And, and then you've got part two, the chief priest's response. And it begs the question, why did they grow indignant? So starting with, uh, with Jesus' actions in the temple, right? He does three things. Thing number one, he drives out all who sold and bought, overturning the tables of the money changers and those who sold pigeons, so says Matthew. And then number two, you, he reminds people of the purpose of the temple. And three, he brings in the blind and the lame, or he, he welcomes the blind and the lame to the temple and heals them. So first off, why was he flipping tables? That's the big question. Why was he overturning these tables? Uh, Matthew Henry kindly points out for us uh, in the beginning of, of this section th that we need to remember where Jesus went first, right? So Jesus has the, the thing we call the triumphal entry, even though everybody's confused. Nobody know People are asking who this Jesus is. People are shouting because they and they don't really know why they're shouting. They're just shouting, Hosanna, son of everybody else is doing it. And so Jesus doesn't march to the palace like a king normally would. He marches to the temple. Jesus is zealous for worship to be correct. God cares about the way that he's worshiped. If you look at the sermon summary in the note, that's the, uh, in the, the bulletin, that's the first bit. God cares about the way that he's worshipped. And that is so important to Jesus that the temple is the first place he goes. And when he gets there, something goes wrong, obviously. So what was going wrong? Well, in John 2, 13 to 17, we read the same event. John starts it way sooner in Jesus's ministry, not by date, but by theme. Um, and and we, we read in John 2, 14, that Matthew is summarizing the events as he normally does. Specifics are not always important to Matthew, but purpose is. So we read that, that, uh, that Jesus went into the temple, John 2, 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So it wasn't just pigeons, but Matthew only tells us of the pigeons. Uh, the Old Testament sacrifice of, of animals was... Uh, was was required, right? There were these required um, these required sacrifices every single year, and this is right about the same time as the Passover. And when when the when they when people went to Jerusalem, they went to the, the temple to worship, and the um, there were certain sacrifices required. One was a bull or an ox, a bull, and if you couldn't afford a bull or an ox, then you could sacrifice a ram without blemish or a goat. And if you couldn't afford a ram without blemish, then you could afford a pigeon or a dove. And the whole purpose, if we were to read Leviticus, the whole purpose of the, the separate sacrifices, the, the separate allowable sacrifices was so that people of every socioeconomic status 
could afford a sacrifice. God wanted his people to worship him, and he wanted them to be able to worship him. Now, in the ancient world, there were several forms of currency. And in, in the, it, it, whenever you traveled from region to region, you had to exchange money. Now we do it. If you go to, like, the United Kingdom, right, you're going to have to exchange your dollars for pounds. Your American credit card will work, but only thanks to it transmitting and changing the amount of money that you're spending when you go and you buy something. It's a, it's a nice way of doing it, but you get a fee for it. Now, in the ancient world, there was also a fee associated with changing your money. If you went to, um, if, if, you, if you went from Egypt to Jerusalem, right, you had to take the currency of Egypt and exchange it for a larger currency or a more normative currency when you got to Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, about this time, they were only accepting like Israeli or Jewish currency. So people with Roman currency that's supposed to be accepted everywhere would come to Jerusalem and they'd have to exchange their Romish currency to Jewish currency. Because that was holier. That was just the way they did it. And so they set up in the temple, they set up these money changers so that the temple could, could exact the tax, right? They could take in the money from, from, uh, from the sacrifices. They could take in the funds. They could, uh, and and they could, people could sell their animals. That makes sense. But there was a fee associated with it. And it was common practice for the money changers to actually have some pretty big markups for that change of currency. So what, what was happening here was not just that they were exchanging money and then buying sacrifice, uh, sacrificial animals. They, they were being extorted. Just like the tax collectors. The tax collectors would, would uh, say, okay, you owe this much, but you're going to pay this much. So they could get a wage for exacting the tax from people. And these money changers were doing the exact same thing. But then also the animals were doing the exact same thing. The animals were doing it. The people selling the animals were doing the exact same thing. They were, they were marking everything up. So... So what, what, what was happening was these people were getting extorted as they were trying to worship God. And that's actually probably why Matthew only mentions the selling of the pigeons, is because the pigeons were supposed to be the cheapest. But apparently they weren't cheap enough because Jesus goes and flips their table, drives them out. And he's mad. He's mad because his father is not able to be worshipped by the people of the nations. They're being extorted. It would be like me standing in front of the doorway when you walk in and me saying, where's your offering today? Uh, that's not enough. How about a little bit more? God hates it when, his, when worship of him is changed when people profit off of it. We, we, have, we have evidence in, in historical records. The Jewish Mishnah actually records of these money changers and these salesmen uh, and women probably, but these sales folks uh, charging these exorbitant amounts. 
So whereas you should, you probably are a well-off person. You walk in, you're like, all right, I'm here to worship God. Uh, how much for an ox? Uh, it's about as much as it would be for a Maserati. Well, wait, why? Why is it so much? Okay, well, how, how, about, how about a sheep? How much is the sheep? Uh, about as much as a, as a souped-up truck. Well, gosh, I can't afford that. How much for a pigeon? About as much as a house. <laughs> well, what? That's supposed to be the cheapest. It is by like 0.2%. And those are made up numbers, but the point is that they were charging way too much. And so Jesus goes in and he's angry. He's flipping the tables. He's shouting at people. We read in John that he makes a whip of cords and starts hitting around and making everyone leave. And he drives out the sellers. But then he also drives out the buyers. I think the reason he's, he's driving out the buyers is because if this starts happening, right? If you were seeing this, you go to worship God, you're waiting in line for your pigeon, and then you see someone letting all the pigeons free and shouting, you're like, well, wait, I can't worship God. And so you start trying to stop the guy that's a raving lunatic uh, attacking people. And I think Jesus then turned on the, those folks and said, no, you get out too, and was driving them out. He was doing it for their protection. He drove people away from worshiping because it was better for them not to be extorted and able to, worship, to be able to worship. Now, Jesus provides us his rationale, why, why he does this. He says in, uh, in verse 13, he says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, Matthew truncates the verse. Uh, Mark includes it, but, but the, we read it in the beginning. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, for the Gentiles, for all nations. So, so Jesus is trying to help us understand why he's doing this by saying, this is supposed to be a place of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So that's textual evidence for this extortion. If you, if you want to argue with me this, the historical credibility of, of the extortion that's happening, it's right there, man. Jesus is calling it out. God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all peoples. And we opened with Isaiah 56. And we read in verse 13 where God has Isaiah prophesy it. Where God says, I'm sorry, I said verse 13, but that's Matthew. But where God says in Isaiah 56, 7, he says, uh, these I will bring to my holy mountain, meaning the Gentiles, and make them joyful in the house of, uh, house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What a great promise. And yet the chief priests had ruined it. Now, what follows is equally interesting, not because, not because uh, it's, it's different to Jesus' character, but when we, when we read what happens next about, the, uh, about the, the, the lame and the poor and the outcast coming in, 
after Jesus drives out all these people that are, that are, that are taking advantage of God's people, Jesus welcomes in those that were thrown out of the temple because they were too filthy, too sinful, too messed up, too dirty, too stinky. And he welcomes them in and heals them. That's normal to Jesus' ministry. He does it all the time. But in this locale, in the temple, that's important. And it's important because it's also included in Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, 8 is the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Meaning he's bringing them in, welcoming them to the temple, taking care of them. That's, that's incredible. And this kind of foreshadows the new heavens and new earth. If we read the last two chapters of Revelation, we read some of the most dramatic pages of the Bible. But, but there's a tree that grows in Jerusalem, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And so Jesus is foreshadowing that by, by, by bring, bringing these folks into the temple, and he's healing them. So he drives out the extortionists, and he brings in the outcasts. Now, the Pharisees, or the chief priests and the scribes, the chief priests exist, they, the majority of the chief priests were actually Pharisees. So I'm not just trying to make the Pharisees sound bad, but the chief priests in Jerusalem, majority were Pharisees, but the Pharisees respond in like kind, right? This is what we've come to expect of the Pharisees. Uh, they, they completely celebrate Jesus, right? They worship him. No, they don't. They get indignant. And I love how Matthew says it, because it's comedic to me. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the wonderful things, they're witnessing the healings, they're witnessing uh, his zeal for, for his father's house. He's, he, he's, they're seeing this, and they're, they're, they're sitting there guffawing, right? I think of like the... Uh, uh, like if, if a British person were to come up, uh, like, like we're talking World War II era British person, just <laughs> that's what the Pharisees basically do. They're, they're grumpy. They get mad. And they find reason to complain, like they always do. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Because kids are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Maybe they're copying their parents. Maybe they're, maybe they're just happy and they're praising God, whatever it is, right? These children are crying out and in worship of, of Jesus and, and praising him as the Messiah. And they get indignant. Do you hear what these are saying? <laughs> and then Jesus replies, yeah. Have you never read? Oh man, if you wanna if you wanna punch a Pharisee in the gut, haven't haven't you ever read? Well, of course they've read it, but they haven't read it. They haven't understood it. Um, now I, I want to point out that if Christ, if Jesus were just a man, then the Pharisees are right. Right? Jesus, if Jesus were just a man, if he were just a prophet, he, he should have been like the angel in Revelation. Don't worship me. Stop it. Not good. Bad for you. Toxic. <laughs> Not okay. 
But Jesus is not just a man. He's God incarnate. And so the praise is right. And Matthew has spent considerable time in this gospel explaining to us that Jesus is both King and Christ, right? That he was promised beforehand to be the Savior. He, he spent considerable time proving uh, to us that the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were foolish for not accepting it, right? They're seeing him heal. They're watching this go down and they're like, Whoa, don't you hear what these people are saying? And Matthew is trying to point out yet again their own folly, right? And, and, and they, they've read it. They've read these promises. They've read this statement in, in, uh, in the Psalms, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. They, they've read it, but they get indignant. Why do they grow indignant? Because they're too prideful to be humbled. You ever met someone like that? They're too prideful to be wrong. And they're too prideful to consider somebody else's opinion. They're too prideful to recognize that they can misunderstand something. But that's not it. If we were to, if we were to read the Mishnah, we'd find out that the Pharisees were actually profiting off of this too. They had joined in leagues with the extortionists in order to collect a fee, and it was lining their pockets. They were corrupt. And suddenly it makes sense why, why the Pharisees have been so against Jesus. Like, how did you not get it? How have you not understood this? Well, it's because they are getting something too. Even the most radical scholars mention that this is, this is historical fact. Uh, one biblical commentator writes of this moment, he says, Corruption among the leadership of God's people arouses Jesus' wrath more quickly than anything else. God hates when his people are abused. And he hates it even more when people who say they're his abuse people that are actually his. Corrupt leaders anger God. Those who do ministry for anything other than, than for the purpose of glorifying God, those who seek their own glory or riches in the service of God, right? Finger quotes. God hates it. And then Jesus drops the mic. Have you, have you heard that phrase? Have you heard that phrase? Yeah? When somebody's done with some amazing speech, they just drop the mic. As a sound guy, I hate that. So I'm not going to pick this up and drop it. I'm not doing it, Rick. I'm not. He's shaking his head no. <laughs> but but uh, it's, 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 Jesus gives this great mic drop statement, right? Uh, haven't you read, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? But then verse 17 is funny in the Greek. In the English, we read, and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. It's not just leaving them. There's an emphatic verb here. It's, it's like leaving twice. 
<laughs> it's it's like if you if you were leaving home and you were really leaving home, right? Like when somebody slams the door and storms out and stumps their feet as they leave, but Jesus isn't quite doing it like that. If we were to translate this Greek verb, it would say not just leaving them and leaving away from the Pharisees or away from them, away from the sad, the chief priests and the the scribes. Jesus drops the mic and walks away. Now we can assume that, that people are shouting after him, no, wait, you didn't answer the question, Jesus. Hey, hey, you, get back here. You answer to me. No, Jesus answers to no man. He just rides off into the sunset towards Bethany. Now, those who corrupt and profane the worship of God are not welcome. <laughs> That's essentially what Jesus is saying. The, the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests are lining their pockets. Instead of allowing others to worship the Lord, they're, they're profaning worship. They're desecrating God's temple. And Jesus is not offering them gospel but he is showing them that they're doing wrong. So what do we make of this, right? Going back to those original questions. Why was Jesus flipping the tables? Because people were extorting God's people. And because God hates that. Why did the Pharisees grow indignant? Because they had no humility. They, they, they had to have known that they were doing something wrong, but they refused to accept it. And they refused to reform. Now, why do I use the word reform? Well, I think I mentioned this last week, but the, the whole purpose of the, the Reformation, right? The, we're talking 1517 to 16 whatever, was, was to go back to the original sources. The Latin term is ad fontes. The, it would go back to the original, from the original. And, and the, the, the reason the Reformation happened is because there had been so much corruption over centuries that the gospel had been lost. And so uh, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli uh, and, and, and uh, John Hus and all the other reform, or William Tyndale, all of them said, no, 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 not tradition, scripture. We want, to, we want to go to what Scripture says. We want to, we want to return to the source. We want to know wh what, this, what this really means. And so the Reformation happened because, the, because Martin Luther was trying to reform Christ's church. He wanted to take the Roman Catholic Church and fix it. But then the Roman Catholic Church decided to try and assassinate him. And he went, well, you know, I guess no. <laughs> and, and people started following him. And people started following people like John Calvin and, and the other reformers. But one of the principles that John Calvin pulled out of this ad fontes was what, what we would call the regulative principle of worship. Now, I don't expect any of you to, to, to know what that means, but, but application from this text, number one, since God's worship was being desecrated, the first application for us then would be for us to reform our worship. 
Uh, Calvin talked about this, this regulative principle, which uh, if, you, if, if you're a theologian, which every, everybody is, but if you study theology, you'll, you'll know that there's these two forms of worship. There's the regulative principle and the normative principle. And uh, the, the normative principle says, if God has not spoken against it, then it can be used. So God has not specifically said that we can't shoot off fireworks in a sanctuary in order to make people uh, like worship. God has not specifically said that we cannot have a water slide going into the baptismal. So therefore, it's okay for us to install it. God has not specifically said that I can't um, drive a mudding truck into the sanctuary here and rev the engine throughout the service, so therefore it must be okay. Those are crazy dumb examples. Some of them have actually happened, but, but not, not the mudding truck, but the water slide. But, <laughs> but since God has not spoken against it, therefore it's okay. That, that normative principle is a little silly to me because we should be careful. We, we, we really should. Because when the money changers came in and the selling of the sacrificial animals happened, that had good intentions originally. But like most things, they, it eventually goes awry. Meanwhile, Calvin talks about the regulative principle, which is that if God has not ordered or regulated, if God has not ordered it, then we should avoid it. And that can be taken too far, right? God has not said that we cannot play an electric guitar. God has not said that we can't sing from a, from a computer. So therefore, we should not do it. But that's not the point. The point is that we should be careful. God has told us how he wants to be worshipped. So therefore, we should be very cautious to employ anything in our worship, whether incense, whether crazy new agey music, whatever it is, you should be very cautious because God cares about how he's worshiped. So much so that Jesus flipped tables when he went to his own, when he went to the temple. Application number two, avoid those who desecrate worship. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm hard-nosed on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm not very nice. Uh, when somebody comes to me with a, uh, with, a, with a worship song that's about something other than God, I say no. Nope. Not going to happen. Why, why on the 4th of July do we not sing patriotic songs? It's not about God, and this is, this is worship. Well, God allowed the United States to exist. No, that's, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're here to worship. Worship God, not, not, not the United States. But the same thing is true to those who create hymns, but they worship a false Jesus. I can't listen to Christian radio, and actually going to Moody ruined Christian radio for me. Um, you know the song, Revelation Song, have you ever heard it? Or the band Phillips, Craig and Dean? They've written several worship songs, right? Um, Revelation Song was, was not new, but it was coming on Moody Radio, and so Moody Radio has this requirement of, of everybody who's played on their radio to sign a doctrinal statement. And it's just super basic, right? Um, 
And Phillips, Craig, and Dean refused to sign it. And their argument was against an unorthodox view of the Trinity. They, they, they hold to what's called modalism, which is a, a heresy. And so they could not sign the doctrinal statement. Therefore, Moody could not play their stuff. Moody Radio does not play Bethel, does not play Hillsong, does not play uh, uh, Toby Mac. And actually, Toby Mac just doesn't fit the bill. But, but uh, I've got no real problem with him. But Moody Radio does not play these bands because, uh, because maybe it doesn't suit their style, like Toby Mac, or because they worship a false Jesus, like Bethel. We need to avoid those who desecrate worship. And it really sucks because I really liked Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Anyway, um, and my third application is kind of reaching out of this text a little bit, but 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 don't idolize temple flipping Jesus or table flipping Jesus. Don't don't make him your favorite Jesus, because there's only one Jesus. And if you idolize one facet of Jesus' ministry, you're going to miss all of it. If you idolize only one or two books of the Bible, then you're going to miss the whole God to which those books are supposed to be pointing you to. Jesus is concerned with how we view him, how we worship him. He's given us both his word and the church to help us, to grow us in our worship of, of him that's right, that's rightly done. And if we idolize this one moment, if we make ourselves the guardians of truth, if we become overly critical and, and refuse to view God in his total Right. Um, I knew a guy one time who loved one facet of God's God, of, of God's character, and it was his holiness. Right. And this guy managed to work God's holiness into every single conversation, which would be good. But this holiness view of God that this guy had had no grace. I mean, none. Absolutely zero mercy. It was it, it, it was God is so holy, therefore you should be holy, right? Oh, this is a Bible verse, right? God is so holy that if you sin against me, I cannot forgive you until you repent of the sin perfectly. That's not the Bible. <laughs> Jesus says, if your brother comes to you asking for forgiveness, how many times do you forgive him? Not just seven times, 70 times seven times. That's your command. Not expect perfection of somebody before you forgive them. So when we idolize this moment, or when we idolize another moment in Jesus' ministry, or if we idolize a book of the Bible, then we can end up worshiping a false Jesus, and we are going to be in need of our tables being flipped. So again, reform your worship. Always go back to the source. Always go back to the Psalms. And always go back to, to, to Deuteronomy and Leviticus and see how God intends to be worshipped. How, how holy and, and reverent we ought to be. Avoid those who desecrate worship. If somebody doesn't worship God, 
don't sing their songs. And don't idolize this Jesus and end up worshiping a false god yourself. God cares about how he's worshipped, and we must reform our practices to make sure they're in line with his. Um, and Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> examine your own practices, make sure they're in line with scripture, and worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped. Go in peace, saints.